Welcome to episode 760 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right, team, welcome along to episode 760, which may, you may, maybe 770. We've, we've just discovered John's gone and skipped the show notes. Just added an f- extra 10 shows in there, just, uh, that's, what we, that's how we roll. Well, I talk with Coach John Newsom, Bevan James Oles, so we may have been saying in the 760s in the last few weeks, but it's actually officially 760. It looks like on February the 9th. Maybe I had a few little drinkies the night before and we went from 756 to 767 next week. You just jumped it up out of nowhere, mate. You just jumped it up. I'm talking proudly brought to you by... You Can. You Can is the sports nutrition that gives you longer lasting energy without the spike and crash of sugar. And our patrons. Oh, we've got a few here, Jumbo. Let's go. I'm going to go Paul, Darth, oh, Plagueis. Plagueis. Plagueis, Yoda. It's from uh, Star Wars. David, the Hound, Winterbottom. Oh, well, Steve the Savage nice. Camacho And is it Iceman or Iceman yep well, What's the Tim e? Iceman Josephs What's the E Can't remember why we came up with the E But uh, I think it's a typo Tim was uh, Tim likes a bit of ice cream Oh is He's it? come on a couple of camps I'm not sure if you were on the He was on the one of the Roth camps Oh and, yeah I would have been there And he also has come on Kona camp And Tim likes a bit of ice cream What's your favourite ice cream If you if you could no, no, let's just, Okay we're going to do two answers here mm-hmm. First is Tip top. You know, so your standard ice creams that you're going to get. Second is if you go a bit exotic. Um, salted caramel is usually stock standard favourite. So yeah. is that tip top? That's probably more well, exotic. Lo- loads of loads of places do tip top. I uh, do, do salted caramel. And if I was to just have a choice, I'd probably go a Memphis. Uh, this isn't a type of ice cream. A Memphis meltdown with that chocolate gooey flavour in the middle. Do you like the raspberry gooey or just a... No, chocolate. Oh, just chocolate on chocolate. Oh, no, caramel, sorry. Caramel. Oh. I, mean, I love a bit of caramel. Bevan, what about you? That's a tough question, John. I'm going to say... It's not really. <laughs> oh, come on. I, like, I actually like the... Um, what's what, what's what, the, the um, jelly tip? Okay. Jelly tip's good. Jelly tip's nice. You know? Uh, and, and if I go exotic, Snickers. Mm. Snickers ice cream. Oh, can you get Strong better? triathlon start to this <laughs> week's show. Well, we've got some bad news. We need to start on a high note. Uh, this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a hot topic. We've got an interview. Didi Griesbauer talking about uh, a recent... Long distance ultra marathon she did and smoking it just as well as being on a camp recently and her outlook for the year. Uh, we've got our coach's corner website of the week questions and answers at the end. John, you've you've kind of buried the lead here, but we'll go with this one. Um, the Husky PTO supported race in Australia happened over the weekend. It's great. We've got some racing sponsored by Shimano. They had uh, look, they had plenty of sort of live coverage there. I saw Crowy and the fella. Um, What's his name? He did basically the voice of Australian sort of iron distance racing and does a lot of uh, commentary for all Ironman races. They were out there covering covering the rent pretty much all day long, which was good to see. Uh, Simon Hearn took it out. He swam 23.44. Uh, a lot of the dudes looked like they all biked together or swam together and biked together. They all rode a 208 yeah. and then uh, pulled out a 113.10 to, to pull away from Tim Reid. Pretty close, only 30 seconds in it. Only one minute covering the top three with Caleb Noble in third place. Uh, Tim Van Burkle down there in fifth and Stephen McKenna in fourth so good on you Aussies uh, being able to keep racing and good on the PTO for supporting it so winner took home 4,000 US and it paid down to eighth place so 
good on them. And the female race? Females. And we had another good little battle here. So the, the top three uh, athletes were Ellie Salthouse managed to take the win. She came off the bike with uh, Annabelle Luxford but pulled away on the run, ran a 1.22 after biking a 2.19 and swimming 24.55. Amelia Watkinson, um, she got a couple of minutes or a you know, minute and a half put into her uh, in the swim and that was pretty much the difference in terms of winning or losing the race because she rode pretty similar time to uh, Ellie and then also ran pretty similar but lost that minute and a half on the swim so she was in, ended up being able to run down Annabelle Luxford who was third Grace Thick fourth and Courtney Gilfillan in fifth Okay, so the, probably the biggest piece of news in the Ironman world this week is unfortunately Ironman New Zealand has been postponed or cancelled. Now we're recording this at about 9 o'clock on Tuesday morning. The announcement is coming out later today. So I imagine a lot of people listening to this will know what the result is. Unfortunately in New Zealand we had a, unfortunately some bugger while in lockdown, while in bloody COVID period, went and visited someone with COVID and then went and visited all of Auckland, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, unfortunately, it means that New Zealand's been locked down to level three for Auckland, which is basically kind of pretty hardcore lockdown. And the rest of the country's at level two, which means you can't have more than 100 people in any one area. Hence, Ironman New Zealand, which is this weekend, was meant to be at least, has to be put on the back burner for now. What it a bummer. Is. It is a bummer. And so, fingers crossed, it looks like reasonably promising news yesterday that it might be postponed for a couple of weeks. They're going to be, you're going to be on 10 docks, even if it does get put on in a couple of weeks. We're going to be yo-yoing, it seems, for some time with these COVID levels. So hopefully we get a bit of Ironman New Zealand. Here's a question happening. for you, John. As a coach, you're meant to be racing this weekend. You've trained, you've, you know, you've tapered for this peak moment. What does an athlete do? You know, let's say they announce today it's going to be two Saturdays later. What would you recommend an athlete does? Because, you know, if you've tapered for, you know, traditional tapers three weeks, mm. that becomes a five-week gap. What would you recommend in training someone should be doing? Well, I'd say t- taper is probably not that long. Um, and so I think had this happened a couple of days out, it's quite different to happening a week out. So, you know, because this last week is, is you're generally just sort of ticking over. Yeah. So they wouldn't, wouldn't have gone into full taper mode. So they wouldn't have been... Um, Decrease losing masses and masses of amounts of fitness, so I think it's more of a, a mental challenge almost than physical. But at the same time, there will be quite a few people that were breathing a sigh of relief. I know a number of athletes that were, you know, a little bit injured and they're going, oh, "It's going to be a bit of a struggle." Uh, and now they've potentially got a few extra weeks up their sleeve. So I think some people will be um, relieved and hope hoping it's still going ahead, gives them a few weeks to get ready. Others, um, I think it's going to be a mental challenge. But in terms of what to actually do. Um, I think you, you need, need to have a few days just to get your head straight and not st- stress too much. So, you know, we got the news on, um, you kind of got night. the news sun- Saturday yeah. night, uh, Sunday morning when you you properly got it. So hopefully people have sort of decompressed for a few days, chilled out, keep ticking over. And I'd probably say for the rest of this week and through to Friday, you kind of keep doing the thing that, that you, you're not trying to lose your fitness, but mentally you might not be up for it. And then you'd have a pretty normal training a week and a weekend and, uh, and you've pre- Chances are, it's, if it's going to be on, it'll probably be three weeks away. Yeah. Uh, and so you kind of just resume a relative, probably got a relatively normal 10 days, probably two or three sort of really key sessions. And then you've sort of got that last week taper, which you didn't do this week anyway. So um, it's, yeah, mentally it's going to be a challenge. But hopefully in a few hours' time, um, people will be able to go, yep, I'm back in the game, or 
I ain't doing it. Yeah, what a bummer. Mm. And, and this is a time we live in and it's unfortunate and it, it, it sucks. But, you know, like it is a real bummer because some people, they won't be able to do the postponed race. Mm. Some people won't get the performance they hoped for. Um, you know, and, and unfortunately this is the moment we live in, but we do feel very... We know that we're really fortunate down here that we have had racing. But, you know, and I know that you guys overseas haven't had any racing whatsoever, but it's just when it gets the carpet gets pulled out from under you yeah. just at the last minute. You guys have probably been realistic going, hey, we knew we're probably not going to get, yeah. there's a good chance we're not getting any racing in the first half of this year. Then we may get some. Second half, we're kind of hopeful, but it's still hope rather than down here, you know, people going, yeah, it's all on. I'm, I'm pumped for this. I've it's, spent six months training. And, and especially for an Ironman, because, you know, A, mm. there's that person who only gets one opportunity in their life to do an Ironman. B, there's the, the, the commitment it takes to be, Ready to do an Ironman is mm. absolutely massive. Half marathons, you know, okay, it's a bummer. Another one around the corner. Yeah, yeah. Marathons, even marathons are a bit of a mission, but you know, they, they you know, dime a dozen. In New Zealand, if you want to do an Ironman, you pretty much got Ironman New Zealand nowadays, mm-hmm. unless you want to go overseas. So it, it's a real bummer. But fingers crossed, we get some good solutions pretty quickly. Uh, we do know that Ironman run a pretty sharp ship, and especially in New Zealand, the crew is really great. So I imagine they'll be being really professional in how they manage this. One race we have got coming up, and it was quite cool on the news last night. It's a New Zealand race called God Zone, which is one of those crazy adventure races. And they said we're still running the race because this race is the definition of isolation. <laughs> so God Zone is a multi day challenge uh, it's around about one week long so the winners take typically sort of four to five days and the teams have up to eight and a half days to complete it it's just stupid <laughs> eight and a half days where you're out there exercising and the top teams will sleep about five hours over the period of won't they? yeah yeah it's totally at your discretion almost totally at your discretion when you sleep you know you choose but there is sometimes some blackout zones so for example you know I don't think you can go kayaking down a whitewater river in the middle of the night you've got to have daylight so you, there is sometimes where you get forced um, blackout zones um, it has been postponed already it was supposed to be held I think November. maybe November uh, so the challenge they've got is, is people our biggest city Auckland nobody will be able to come from there whether they be athletes or whether they be support crews well, so 300 people entered well, maybe 300 teams. They were talking on the news last night. Maybe it was 300 teams. I'd say so. Yeah. It's uh, four members in a team, and you got to have one. Uh, I'm pretty sure you got to have one being a female. They may have a male only category, but I think uh, normally you have to have a female. Um, entry fee. You got to get some sponsors for this entry fee. Eight and a half to nine and a half thousand dollars entry fee. But is that uh, for a team? Do. Yes. It's only two k each. Yeah, I know. You know? But it's still. Oh yeah, but but for an eight day event, mm-hmm. use the Iron Man times eight. Yeah. <laughs> so well, I'm not sure how much they provide. I can't imagine you have aid stations and stuff like that. No, but you've just got all the oh, logistics, support, logistics yeah. and, and yeah. behind it. So the disciplines, a big part of it is navigation. So you know you don't know that they don't. You're not sitting here two weeks out going right. We're going from here to here to here. Yeah. You rock up and they give you a map and then you've got to figure out uh, the quickest way from all to get to all the different uh, points that you need to. Uh, they've got trekking in there. You've got mountain biking. You've got kayaking. You've got canoeing. You've got fixed ropes. So you know abseiling. You've got uh, pack rafting and then you've got other disciplines uh, as well. So you kind of get a bit of everything thrown in there. Not my cup of tea, but I can certainly see the appeal of it. But that's you, you don't think you'll take it once. No, I'd like to do, I mean, if it was a multi-day event where you're kind of doing all this stuff, but you're not having the sleep deprivation, I know that's a big part of it, and that's a big challenge, yeah. but for me, that doesn't hold a great deal of appeal. You know, you just look at these people at the when they're on day five and six, they're just zombies, they don't look like they're having any fun. If it was a multi-day event, um, I think I, that would appeal to me. There you go. But that's kind of the mystery of it, isn't it? 
Hmm. Who are you when you? <laughs> the thing, and we talked to do. I talked to Dougal about this on the show last week. Uh, is just that thing of long, non-stopping, and working in a team. That's the two dynamics. Because Iron Man, it's hmm. an individual experience. Mm-hmm. You know, you control your outcome. Whereas in a team, under that level of fatigue and, and stress, hmm. oh, I can imagine there's some arguments. You know, you know when you're training with someone. Epic, Epic Camp can do this, can't it? Mm-hmm. Totally. On Epic Camp, we're just someone's just annoying the crap out of you and, and mm-hmm. actually it's not really their fault it's just that you're so tired and mm. you just I can't remember one time Dr. Dave Dr. Feelgood mm. he was we were doing Epic Camp and um, it was 70k to the next feed station it was probably I don't know day 10 and I'm absolutely screwed and he was 5k's up the road and justified because basically where we thought we were going to meet was on a bendy hill Yeah. so he just couldn't do it well I was so angry at David <laughs> like I was like I was really blow the you know I was just Really go abshit at him, not his fault at all. Exactly. But just because I was so tired, so and I just needed that mental break, and I needed that food that he was providing for us, and uh, you know, and that's what you know. Imagine being in a team dynamic where you're trying to win this race or at least mm. compete in this race. It's definitely an interesting dynamic. Other things we've got coming up, and you hear just a little tidbit about this from Dee Griesbauer, because I recorded the interview with her last week. So Iron Man have come out with a new virtual reality sort of uh, season for pretty much the whole of the Northern Hemisphere summer. Um, kind of a graduated series with some different locations. So if you're on Ruby, um, you'll be riding some different courses, but also it's kind of got a theme. Each month has kind of got a theme, whether you're riding on the flat, whether you're going alpine, um, rolling, etc. So they're also having some qualifying spots for 70.3 world champs at a couple of places. I think we kind of debated that one to death this year. You know, uh, I think a few weeks ago I was debating whether there is a 70.3 world champs or I think I said maybe there isn't. There is. Yeah. And it's in St. George. Uh, it won't kind of be a proper world champs, but there'll be a there'll be a race, so you can qualify for that. Um, and then other bits of news. I think I talked about this one last week. Israel man, uh, so iron distance race in Israel looked like it was all go. Uh, it was supposed to be on this weekend as well. And they think it sounds like they got all the permissions from all the different places except for one, and that sort of scuttled them. So unfortunately, Israel man has been cancelled, not postponed, cancelled. Um, because Israel is one of those countries where they've got massive rates of vaccination, so I think they were holding out hope that it was going to happen. So one thing in the show notes here is that Challenge Miami is going to be happening on the 12th of March, Friday, which is obviously, which is quite cool. So they're doing the pro race on the Friday, and then the age group racing over the weekend. It's going to be an it's an amazing elite field. So we'll talk about that field uh, next weekend. So it's very similar to what we had in the last Challenge sort of championship race. Uh, where again we had a stacked field. No, it's not quite as stacked as this one. It's not like Daytona, but it's still you got Jan Fredino, you got Annie Haug, you've got a bunch of athletes. It's always intriguing when Jan Fredino races because he doesn't race a lot. He doesn't now, does um, he? Oh, next week I'll pull up his stats, but I I cannot recall a time where he didn't win. He got was it second or third in his first Kona? And I think he, in his first Ironman he got third. And I remember he got beaten by Jesse Thomas one time at Lanzarote. Outside of that, I don't, I don't reckon he's hardly been beaten in the last five or six years. No, well, so, but he's a legend, isn't he? God. Yeah, so it's going to be good to see him racing, especially against Quality Field with Lionel Sanders and uh, plenty of others there. So looking forward to that. Sounds like the coverage is going to be really good as well. Don't know if it'll quite be the same standard as Daytona, but it sounds like they're going to uh, go and have some great coverage. Friday night racing. Okay, uh, this week's discussion was, if you could win a, a day with a pro, who would you want to meet and what would you want to do with them? Hmm. 
uh, Ben Pasella has got depends on the mood on him. Rosie to listen to some crazy life stories. Mecca for the inside Trigos and Frodo for pure triathlon performance. Just come down to Christchurch, Ben, and uh, catch up with Rosie. Lives across the road from my in-laws. There you go. Uh, Doug Gordon, the one who oh, I'm not even going to go there. I just started reading it. Uh, Christopher Doyle, <laughs> Andreas Raylu go out for a run with him. Uh, uh, Arnold has got Crow, no doubt, and David Doherty's got same. Uh, Mick Simpson Day on the beers With Joe Skipper yeah, I don't know if Joe's A big drinker or not uh, He's a great guy And jo- Joe, would a- Joe would be A great answer But I don't yeah. know About the beers But imagine him On the beers Yeah you know, he'd be, yeah. He would be fun On the beers uh, Christopher Dor- oh, you've done that. Um, Tim Martindale Has got Peter Reed By far Yeah he's one of those guys Who really has Dropped off the radar In terms of You know Not involved in the sport Really he at all He does go to Kona Every year Right, you know, yeah. you, you always see him at Kona, and he's often sometimes at drink stations and stuff, handing out yeah. drinks. Like, so he's always at Kona, but he outside of that, he's a pilot. Mm. He's got a new life, and that's what he's doing. Uh, Steve Diodonis, uh, Braden Curry, no doubt, full-on endurance athlete. I'd love to go rock climbing, kayaking, mountain biking, camping, have a few brews, kick back, and enjoy. Lastly, John Weir's got all kind of trash talk with Mecca. Who would you go, John? I would possibly go um, Danielle Reef. I think. Because it's just that intrigue. I, uh, quite a few of the other athletes these days, they're out there and they're doing YouTube clips and they've got quite a strong profile. So you kind of get to understand what their personality is like, what sort of training they do. There's still that intrigue for me of what it's actually like in that Sato sort of environment. I mean, yeah. we get to bits and stuff like that. But what's it really like? Uh, was it, it was just a big myth? Um, and so I don't really know how she trains. Don't know really what she does. You don't really... Is she active? On, she must be active on social. I don't really follow her on social. I don't really follow anybody on social. No, <laughs> Sorry, so I can't spend any time on it now. Yeah. So that's who I'd like to to train with. I think it was go and uh, see what her world's like. Yeah, and what she does, you know, a little bit outside of triathlon and stuff. But I'm I'm still intrigued about that. Yeah, that Sato environment and what it's like, especially in camps. And and I know that he sort of splits athletes up and pairs them up. And yeah, it just seems like a interesting environment. I'd like to go. I'd like to be either like a Daniela or Frodo for me because I just love to know, or even like a Sanders. You know, just to to be able to sit beside them when they're training for key sessions. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they'd be really just to understand that place they can go to. You know, like I remember we and I talked actually I talked about this Dougal um, when you, one time we've never actually interviewed Bevan Doherty, but. Mm-hmm. Um, one time I was talking to him and I just loved that Bevan trained by himself all the time he was a hermit I spent quite a bit of time with Bevan yeah he was just a hard ass uh, so he just did his own thing but but that's an, it's a skill in itself isn't it because most of us mm-hmm. let's be honest use the group to motivate ourselves mm-hmm. you know sure nowadays we've got good tools so we can use like times and you know mm-hmm. like zones and all the rest of it to push ourselves but at the end of the day most of us find our most effective training when we've got a group of people like a Zwift even in a Zwift we've got those motivational mm-hmm. factors that are going to bring it on well Bevan just had this ability to, you know, now I never saw him train, mm. but obviously he knew how to train like a beast. Yep. You yep. know, yep. and, and that, that, you know, to be like a guy like that who kind of just by themselves can just go to a place mm. that not many can be, you know, to go to a place that not many people can go to, be cool to sit by the side that and just watch what mm-hmm. that's like. It'd be pretty cool. Um, this week's discussion, which is kind of similar but different, uh, what we've got here, John had a discussion was, Pretty average. <laughs> so I, I admit got, it. It was. So I came up with one. If you could go, if you had a time machine and go back and participate in any sporting event in history, 
Which event would you choose and why? So you could say, I want to play in the Argentina team where Maradona does the hand of God. Mm-hmm. You can choose any event and you can choose any sport. What event would you choose and why have you chosen that event? There you go. I can see what John's already thinking about it. He's got his answer already. I would have liked to be at a triathlon event, but I'm, I'm, I'm letting you go with it. I'm letting you go with it. Yeah, no, I'm putting it out there. Okay, three, two, one, Coach's Corner. I've been delaying this for weeks. He's been wanting to do it for weeks. He's put it off, mate. But this week we're doing it. Part two of a high five I did probably about a couple of months ago. So many, there's so many uh, segments I start up, and then I go, a few, a few months ago, oh, whatever happened to that one? Yeah. We were sort of doing the greatest athlete of the, the different eras. Yeah, no, we should bring that back. Stuff. I really enjoyed those ones. Okay, so what we're looking at here is the five work-ons for each discipline, especially over winter, and today we're looking at the bike. We are. So number one, learn to suffer with high intensity. So the types um, you could go and do to t- try to make yourself suffer a bit more on the, back, the bike, a ramp test. My little Tommy did his first ramp test on uh, the weekend. So for those who don't know what a ramp test is, you'll be on your trainer. Zwift have got one. I'm sure Trainer Road have got one, or you can kind of make it up yourself. But basically, you're getting warmed up, and then you do a ramp. So every it's normally sort of one to three minutes. The the trainer, the Zwift one is every one minute. Every one minute starts very easy and then it just goes up by a certain wattage every every minute until you absolutely blow. So it's relatively short for the duration um, where it gets really hard, um, but a good little test to, to get yourself pushing the limit. And it's a good place to start. If you're someone who hasn't done much high-intensity biking, it's a sort of a, a gentle way to, to, to go into that world. Well, because uh, you're going to always, it basically fades away when you fade away, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. And it's, um, it's a lot easier than doing say a 20 minute TT which is point number two doing some TTs with whatever duration they might be doing some racing whether it be Zwift racing is, is the best format um, but there is starting to be a bit more racing on Ruby and uh the other platform I never talk about, mainly because I've never done much on it, is Be Cool. I think they have some good racing on there as well. What a makes lot, a race good? Uh, plenty of people, and so you're actually in groups um, okay. rather than sometimes you'd go to a race and there might be 10 people on there. Okay. It's split, it splits it's up. Ride. It's basically a TT. Yep. And then doing some high-intensity intervals. And with smart trainers these days, it can really force you to, to go to a place that you're perhaps might not be able to push under your own uh, steam. So, and then number two is in terms of different types of sessions. Um, No, what was I going to say? So in terms of doing these types of sessions, you know, Physically, it's going to help you, but mentally, you can get massive gains out of it. So, and and you're going to hear about a little bit about this on next week's show with Dirk Friel. You know, at a time where we're at now, where we haven't got any racing for most places in the world, it's racing has, doesn't interrupt training, so you really can get stuck into a good structured pack, uh, pattern and. Doing some high intensity stuff, you're not thinking, oh, I've got a race in two weeks' time, or you're, you're recovering from a race. You can really get stuck into a good little period of training. So, learning to do high intensity stuff is going to help you physically improve, but mentally, it can take you to a new place, which can help you for your long distance racing further down the track. Number two, you're going to do some single leg work on the trainer. Yep. So, a lot of, there's a bit of debate about the effectiveness of this, but I um, personally like it and give it to athletes that I coach. So, if you haven't done this before, you're on your trainer. Um, um, you just uh, put a like a 
you can either just have your leg hanging off to the side or out the back or have a put a little box by your the skewer and your rear wheel and then you put your foot on there and you're just literally riding with one pedal so it identifies areas of weakness in your pedal stroke really really quickly uh, and it also really highlights the importance of having a good strong core to be able to keep you nice and stable so when you do this use a fairly easy gear but not too easy so you don't want your leg just spinning around you need to keep a little bit of pressure on there all the way through the pedal stroke um, and then you just do it for you know anywhere from 30 seconds if you've never done it before maybe up to about two minutes and just do it for you know five to ten minutes and like I typically do one minute on one minute off or up to two minutes on two minutes off and just switch legs and I just find it a really good drill to do to make sure that you are pedaling efficiently and it also yeah above other things just helps to break sessions up a little bit as well. Uh, just one thing most people don't use hamstring activation most people don't do, are very good at the pull up are they yeah true yeah that, yep. that's the bit you want to trigger which is it's a hard art form to get to get both leads doing the circle at the same time it, it's, mm. it's a skill you it's going to take some time to develop when when we do this in a group environment and you see people doing it for the first time it's a real struggle uh, so it can make some pretty big gains pretty quickly far out yeah because if you're not activating half of the circle Mm. You know, you're going to get to, if you're going to learn to activate that. Uh, number three is improve your bike maintenance skills. I need to take a, There's a course. Bit, of, bit of medicine here. There's a course because I had to buy some brake pads for my bike last night and on um, Torpedo 7 actually run a course. Oh, really? A bike maintenance course, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so everyone's going to be at different levels here and this is something you can do while we're still not a lot of racing. You might have a little bit extra time on your hands. So as simple as how to lube your chain correctly. Um, Do you not screw some CCRC and spray it for 20 seconds? No, you don't. Oh, <laughs> and, that's what I'm going wrong. Uh, to changing your tyre, like my um, son and his mate were riding back from a session the other day and they got a puncher and they're just at that level where they can just about change a tyre, okay? The, the but, problem is, if you get it, I've got a tyre right now, I had a flat tyre the other day, and the, when you're with the levers, mm-hmm. when you get a tyre that's really hard to get out, yep, it's it tricky. can be a pain. So just learning that sort of stuff, I would say I'll give a shout out to the Global Cycling Network or GCN, Uh, they've got lots of tutorials on just about everything you can imagine in terms of breaking your chain to fixing your, um, I don't know, your bottom bracket and all that sort of stuff. So maybe just set yourself a little goal of maybe three things you want to try to improve Um, and it is surprising how many people in our sport cannot change a tyre. Um, or well, some, yeah, well, and at least my ex-partner who rode for well, development for New Zealand team, mm. she'll give me a call. Mm. She'd be like, oh, yeah, babe, can you go pick me up? I'll back it up. You're, you're, yeah. <laughs> so challenge yourself, whatever level you're at, with three little maintenance things. Okay, number four, if you're thinking about making changes to your setup, do it now. If you want to do your coach's head in, you, try, you make, <laughs> you make cha- you go, I'm just going to change things like a couple of weeks for a race. So if you're thinking about that now, if you're going into the, the hopeful season we've got ahead, do it now. Give yourself plenty of time to A, adapt and actually figure out if the change is going to be work for you. So things like moving your cleats. You know, I'm a big proponent of having your cleats as far back on your shoes as possible. Um, we'll be to, back. Uh, so towards your heel, as far okay. back as the screws will allow you, um, saves your calves. For the, You lose a little bit on the bike, but it helps to, to save your calves as opposed to having your cleats a long way forward. Um, then your calves are going to be doing a lot more work on the bike. So 
swings and roundabouts in terms of your bike performance, but ultimately we're trying to save your calves for the run. Things changes to your handlebars. You know, if you're thinking, oh, I'm, I'm thinking about moving my aero bars in, out, up, down, uh, etc. Make those changes now and likewise with uh, seat position or even selecting a new seat. Now's the time to do it. Get adapted, see if it works and if it doesn't, go back to what worked previously. Lastly, try to ride outside. It's changing time of the year. People's weather is getting better and it's so tempting to get stuck in on the trainer and you know you're going to get a good workout but never underestimate you know, the skills of riding outside. Uh, so I know it's not safe everywhere to do that these days, but uh, try to make the effort to, to get outside rather than becoming a 100% indoor trainer. Well, and also just that like bad weather, training bad weather. Mm-hmm. Like races aren't always going to be good weather, are they? So it's mm-hmm. kind, of the, kind of that thing of you've got to condition yourself to how you're going to race. And if you get into that habit of always going for the easy option, even though training inside is not easy, but mentally mm-hmm. it's maybe easier, then when you face adversity on race day, maybe you're not prepared for it. Exactly. Okay, we've got an interview. We have Didi Griesbauer coming your way. She is right now. Okay, guys, um, we have got Didi Griesbauer on the show today. It's been uh, pretty much a year since we last had her on. She had um, won the Ultraman World Championships over in Hawaii and become the record holder over there. She's also a three-time Ironman World Champion and one of the voices of the Ironman live coverage you hear when we have some Ironman racing, but uh, more recently covering the Ironman Virtual Reality Series. So welcome back to the show, Didi. Oh, great to be here with you. It's been the longest, shortest year of my life. Like, aren't we all stuck in a time warp now with this pandemic stuff? I mean, it's crazy. It is. It's been a year. It's basically been a year. So, I mean, what have, you know, we know, we know that you're, you know, you do your commentating work, you've got coaching, yeah, but you're also an athlete yourself. So how, how have you sort of stayed motivated through, through the whole pandemic? Yeah, you know, I, I'm somewhat lucky in that, I'm one of the athletes that legitimately enjoys the process. Like I love the day in and the day out. Um, And and I think that's why at the age of 50, I'm still in it. Um, I I just, I love the training. I love my squad. I love my coach. I just love the process. So there's, even though we haven't had the opportunity to race, there's still joy in the process. And I'm not going to, it's not all rainbows and unicorns and butterflies and happy things. There, There have been tough times. I mean, it's, it's hard to put yourself in that place of hurt when you don't know when you're going to have an opportunity to sort of cash in on that work. But throughout the year, we did some fun challenges. We did a thousand K bike week, um, in midsummer. Um, we did another pretty epic bike trip up in the Colorado mountains, which was fantastic hitting a lot of the major sort of ski resort towns all by bicycle. We had a great sag, um, in a small group and had, had a lot of fun doing that. Um, and then I did some sort of, I just, I missed the opportunity to race. And so I try coming off the heels of Ultraman last year. There's a lot I have to learn about the ultra distance. So I decided to do some ultra running and I actually picked a trail race that was meant to happen in December, but pulled up with a little calf niggle in September. So found another one to do in January. And so, yeah, I I did some different kind of racing. I raced a 52K single track trail race in the Arizona desert uh, last month. So that was a bit of fun. And now I'm hoping we can be somewhat optimistic that races, while not certain, are a little bit more likely than they were a year ago. (laughs) 
when you did that um, running race, I had a quick look at it before we spoke. It looked like there was a 52k option, a 52 mile or a 100 mile. Were you, were you tempted by doing those uh, longer ones? No, no. <laughs> I'm a, <laughs> a, some baby steps. You know, it's, it's unusual as a triathlete. My first triathlon was an Ironman. Like I went all in. But yeah. when I looked at the trail race, like I'm a pavement girl. Part of the reason I, I grew up as a swimmer and part of the reason my parents put me in a pool is because I was just prone to falling down on dry land. So I, I, I was a little bit intimidated and that's part of why I did it was to take me out of my comfort zone and have a, a totally new experience. That's what Ultraman was about. And that's certainly at least in part what this trail race was about. But no, I looked at the distances and yeah, there was like, there was a four mile um, there was a, yeah, as you said, of a, a 52K, a 52 mile, and then 100 mile. And, and 52K felt epic enough to me. I, I, I had some concerns even about that. So I was, I was happy with my decision. <laughs> cool. And how did, you, how did you train for that? You know, comparing it to say, if you were going to train for a, a marathon, um, say a, an on-road marathon, how did you adjust the training um, and how long were you anticipating sort of being out there compared to a marathon? Uh, well, quite a bit longer than a marathon. Um, I would plan for me a marathon, you know, I'm <laughs> affectionately referred to as our sport's worst runner, I think, in, in private <laughs> circles. So, yeah. um, you know, my best flat marathon time, and granted, I haven't done one since becoming a professional triathlete, but was just over three hours. So, yeah. you know, I would plan a marathon in and around three hours for me. This trail race, given the fact that it was, you know, 52K, um, so quite a bit longer, uh, the elevation gain was, um, I think, 3,700 feet. Um, And and so it wasn't wasn't flat. It was, you know, I had no idea because I had never seen the trail. But given the description, I didn't think it would be all that technical. It was a lot more technical than I thought it was. So we had guessed um, somewhere between five and five and a half hours, and I was at 5.31 and change. So, yeah. So, you know, my training, there certainly wasn't a lot of speed work. Uh, I would certainly do some speed and sort of tempo efforts. But for this, I did a lot of hill work. So I'm in a good place for that. I would just go run up a mountain for two hours and then turn around and run down mm-hmm. um, to, to get that sort of training in. And then I did try to hit some trails around Boulder. Again, I'm not a trail expert. So the trails that I ran weren't super technical. They were dirt. And, you know, but what I encountered in Arizona was way, way more difficult. So I was somewhat unprepared and lacked the foot agility that I think I might need. I I tell you, some of the, you know, the wave started us. So the, um, there was a wave, there was a 20 mile division And the 20 mile people came flying through and I was like just watching them bound over these like technical sections and just in awe and full admiration for what is a true skill that I do not have. But I had a lot of fun out there. Good. Um, And did you, you know, we we hear a lot of ultra athletes kind of take a run walk approach or did you sort of go into it planning on running the whole way and obviously walking if you needed to up steep sections or did you sort of go for a run walk from the get go? No, I, I did a full run strategy. I, I assumed there would be spots. And, and I, I was very lucky in that um, one of my former squad mates, a, a woman that Julie used to coach named Alison Baca, um, she has since retired from triathlon, but has done some pretty epic um, trail racing. 
Um, she won this event two years ago. And so before I signed up, I reached out to her and I was like, am I going to die? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <She's>, <laughs> I was like, I want to have a good old crack at it and I want to have some fun, but I don't want to die. She's like, you're not going to die. She's like, yeah. worst comes to worst. You speed hike some of the more technical sections. And, and honestly, there were a couple of steep downhill bits. I did find I had to sort of brace myself and be like, okay, how am I going to get down this? And, and sort of think before I went. But um, I, in general, I ran the whole thing and I was actually pretty proud of myself for that. Good. Um, and one, one question we always get from people is, you know, fueling and things like that. So we know, I know when we talk to you about Ultraman, you know, you absolutely smashed it at Ultraman, but I know you had some some challenges at certain times and so part of that was, was around fueling and stuff. So for this race in particular, the, the Ultra, um, how did you fuel yourself? And, and I know you're sort of starting to use UCAN and, and just the, how did, the practicalities of, of carrying your nutrition. So how did you make that all work? Yeah, so that was another big motivation for me to even do this trail race was to get more experience across ultra distances, should there be more of those in my future, um, practicing that fueling because I did encounter some really, really difficult challenges during the Ultraman with my stomach just starting to reject just all the sugary drinks and chews and gels. It was too much. And I was advised beforehand. I had good advice. Um <laughs> from some Ultraman veterans that were, you know, saying to me, you know, Dee, you can't do this all on sort of traditional Ironman sports nutrition. It's just across multiple days, across that kind of distance, you can't throw that much sugar. You're going to need some either real foods or, or different energy sources. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Until 10 miles into day two and I'm throwing up all over the place. I'm like, yeah, they were right. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was in the, the wake of Ultraman that, I sat down and talked to you know one of my crew members, Jordan Bryden, who won Ultraman Worlds last year, as well as Ultraman Canada, um, and then Hilary Biscay, who is a, a former Ultraman World Champion, and was like, you know, what what do you think? And they both sort of suggested you can. Um, and of course, my my squad mate, my training partner Tim O'Donnell, has been using you can with with great success. And so I reached out to them and said, you know, I'd love to try it. Can you can you educate me a little bit? And and I spent a lot of time on the phone with with Matt Bach and and I had known Matt, you know, previously. He's a former Wall Streeter like I am, so we we have some some commonality in that regard and he sort of walked me through the the science of it, the logic of it, the practicality of it and and I bought some product. Like, you know, he said, "Look, if we're going to have a partnership, we want it to be organic. So you you need to try this and make sure that it's what you want." And so over the summer, through some of those things, the 1000K Bike Week and, and some of the big, bigger training days we did that were more sort of adventure days, not really race specific, I used the UCAN and I was like, yeah, this is pretty good. And nutrition, I tell you, has always been my Achilles heel, uh, even back to my swimming days. It's just been something I've struggled with. And so I, I also started working with a nutritionist. And when I mentioned the UCAN to him, he was all about it. And and really coached me up on, on formulating a nutrition strategy. And, and one of the things I was most concerned about with this ultra was it was self-supported. Um, mm. There were aid stations on the, on the course, but um, largely it was self-supported. They had things like, you know, water, sugary things, but they were spread out pretty far because mm. it's a big loop. And, and, and it was really on me at Ultraman, you know, I had surrendered to my crew. And so when they said, you know, eat, drink, I just ate and drank, you know, and, and really just followed orders. But I was going to be out there by myself for five and a half hours. And I was like, Didi, this is going to be on you. Like, you have to 
you have to be stern with yourself and be disciplined about yeah. this stuff. And it's something that I've just been terrible about, but I had this plan. And so for the th first three hours, I was purely you can. Um, I had mixed it up in concentrate. One of the things I made a mistake, I did not wear a pack. Um, I had looked at uh, photos uh, from from prior years races to decide if I wanted to run with a pack because it's not something I'm used to doing and I thought it would sort of bug me and so I resisted the you know the op opportunity to to buy one yeah I was like oh no I'll just carry and I I actually doubled double jog broad and was planning to just sort of shove things down my jog bra yeah yeah <laughs> and it was a poor strategy I am Let's just leave it this way. I'm uh, I'm scarred for life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you though. I, I did a, a mountain bike triathlon fairly recently, and uh, yeah, running with a pack, it's just <laughs> once you take it off, you realise how much how cumbersome they are. But yeah, so it's a practically how did you how did you end up doing it? You you basically had the the jog bra and you and you had your you can sort of mixed up and concentrated sort of gel type bottles, did you? Yeah, I had it. So I had um, the the soft bladder bottles so that they would, you know, not be quite so harsh, mm. you know, against skin as I was carrying them. I needed obviously to have my hands free, so I literally just had one you uh, can flask, sort of, and one filled with water, and had the water refilled at aid stations. And I went back through sort of the main transition zone, um, twenty miles in. And then headed out for a second loop, so I was able to refuel. Like I had my stuff set up um, and, and could grab more of what I needed. But the first three hours, I did strictly on UCAN, and and as coached, it really gave me that sort of stable base. I, I will say, 100%, five and a half hours of running, I had zero GI issues, which I can say that for Ultraman, that was not the case. The, mm. the number of times I stopped on the side of the road with stomach issues was uh, too many to count. Mm. And I had zero stomach issues. And the thing that I was most impressed with was, and the thing I worried about, you know, you get into an Ironman or even a long training day. And by the end of the day, when you're starting to get tired, even if you're on top of your nutrition, your mind just gets a little cloudy. You get a little loopy. You start making bad choices. And and that was my biggest concern out on this trail because you have to be focused, right? You have to be watching your your feet because you're going to fall. Yeah. Um, and I was so impressed with how lucid I was, how clear in my head I was. Like I finished the race and my husband was there. He literally dropped me at the start line. No spectators allowed and, and yeah. came back five hours later. I was like, yeah. okay, good luck. Yeah. Um, but he was amazed even at the finish line how kind of with it I was. And like normally I'm sort of out of it and can't form a coherent sentence. And he's like, you seem really good. And I'm like, actually, I feel really good. Yeah. Um, and so I was supremely impressed. So the first three hours were strictly you can. And then during the last two, um, and, and you can will advocate this as as did my nutritionist. You just start layering sort of um, higher glycemic carbs on top of that. Mm. Um, if you're doing like super long or super intense, you can act as a, just a tremendous base. And I just felt so sort of reinforced. It, it sort of was the scaffolding that held the building up, so to speak, um, throughout the entire day. And and, and so I was just thrilled with the whole thing. Um, it was an opportunity for me to not only test the UCAN in a race scenario, because we all know training is not the same as racing. So in an actual race scenario that was pretty demanding because I had to be self-sufficient, 
Um, I was really, really impressed. I am a hundred percent drinking the you can Kool-Aid. Like it, it, mm. people had raved about it and told me about it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it can't be all that at a bag of chips. I honestly, I was so, I was very, very impressed and I'm very excited about sort of my, you know, nutrition future with you can. Cool. And so you end up finishing in second place. Were you pretty happy with that? I was thrilled. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I crossed the finish line. My husband's like, I think you came second. I was like, really? I'm like in a race with no swimming or biking and I'm in second place. And it was actually, it was, I ended up kind of making a little bit of a mistake because we had the little podium ceremony with the, with the top three women. And afterwards we stepped off and I was like, well, I tip my hat to you guys. I'm officially retired from trail racing. I'm one and done. And the girl who came third looks at me. She's like, you're not a trail runner. I was like, no. (laughs) Nice. And I was like, oops, that probably was a little insulting. And I didn't mean for it to sound like that, but full respect to what they do, because it's a whole different kind of racing. But yeah, I was actually really excited with the fact that I came second without a swim or a bike. So that was, it was good. It was a lot of fun. Nice. Oh, it's great that you got to do a race. There's very, very few of them apart from down here in the Southern Hemisphere. We're all good, but I know in the rest of the world, there's not, not too much happening. So it was good you got that. Now, you've, you've also recently been off on a, on a training camp. I'm just intrigued to, to know what you guys kind of do on your, your training camps. You're part of Julie Dibbins' um, squad, which I, I yeah, tell tell us a bit about the squad. If it's if it is just all pros, or if there's some age groupers in there, and and then obviously um, what you sort of get up to on on your your big camps, especially at this time of the year when a you know even if there was racing, it's still very early in the year for you guys. Um, so, so tell us about the camp. Yeah, so typically with the JD crew, we do a, a camp around this time of year. Last year I missed it because it, it literally started the day after Ultraman, um, so I, I had to sit that one out, but. Typically, the pro athletes will be getting ready for early season races, whether it's, uh, you know, the first Ironman here in North America would be Texas and some of the 70.3s leading into that, Campeche, um, Galveston 70.3. Some of those early season races, we would use training camp as sort of a a final tune-up and and an opportunity to do a big block of work going into those early season races. You know, this year, some of the folks are, some of the pros are racing um, challenge Miami, but as you said, it's it's it's. I mean, it's it's an unbelievable start list. Uh, it's, it's something else for early season racing. I'll tell you that. But um, people are doing Challenge Miami, but the the tone of the camp was a little bit different. It was a little bit less race specific, and it really was an opportunity to just get out of Colorado and go somewhere warm, uh, and ride our bikes a bunch outside and and just enjoy some some long base miles uh, of riding. Um, of course, when you're riding behind Matt Hansen, even at warm-up pace, I felt like I was <laughs> redlining. So, yeah, I think we got some good work done. Um, we did a lot of swimming. We had a big swim focus through January, and we continued that through camp um, and did just enough running to sort of keep it sharp. But the, the real focus was, you know, swimming and biking and just logging some, some early season miles. And then some folks will go off to Challenge Miami. So the first two weeks of the camp, um, was pros and it was a small group. There was only five of us because pandemic and a lot of Julie's athletes, you know, ones from Canada were worried about, you know, borders closing and the logistics of getting here. She's got, you know, South American pros. Um, she's got pros all over the world and they, they couldn't all get here. So it was a really small group. But then what they did, um, Julie has a, a bunch of age group athletes, some of which she coaches herself and some of which um, there's a handful of us that work for Julie as coaches. Um, and so there's an age group camp 
on the heels of the pro camp and we overlapped for a couple of days and again said you know being fully sensitive to the pandemic mm. everyone got covid tested and 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 that sort of thing because we wanted to keep it safe and the, and the age group camp was also very very small a small group but it was a good opportunity those couple of days of overlap to you know get to know some of the age group athletes and get them to to ride with us and share some of our knowledge with them and then the pros took off and the age groupers stayed another two three days after that to, to finish up their age group camp so I think it was a lot of fun for everyone, mostly just a break from winter. And there have been years where we've done our training camp where we leave Boulder and it seems to be this sort of warm patch where it's 60 degrees and sunny in Boulder. But this year, I'm telling you, we timed it perfectly because it was like sub-zero, snow, freezing cold here. So for the first year, we definitely picked the right couple of weeks to be gone because it was the sort of the worst of winter we've had so far. Nice. So typical, a typical day, I know you probably, when, when a camp's that long, you probably don't have a very typical day. But, you know, when, when you're talking going out and riding long, you know, you're sort of talking 100 miles, 150 miles, or, or is it sort of more moderate mileage um, and just repeating it day after day? day a little bit of both uh typically the structure in camp's a little bit different but we'll do longer rides on wednesdays and saturdays so those days were five to six hours um every other day was sort of two and a half to four um and we had one day that we were off the bike i think that was a double run day um even the sunday typically we would just do long run day but we did a short ride that afternoon as well so um really no two days are alike uh, we kept the general format of what our training structure is when we're here at home training but um just enhanced a little bit with some some more opportunities for some sort of what we would take as a, a 90 minute ride with intensity we turned into sort of a three hour more aerobic ride so there was definitely some more miles um, and again, we swam a lot. I think of the camp, there was only one day we did not swim. So that was, you know, 13 out of 14 days of, of swimming. And I think our shortest swim was 4K. So we did a lot of swim nice. miles as well. Yeah, it was good stuff. And so what, what have you got planned for this year? You know, and a lot of uncertainty. We don't really know what's going to happen. It kind of feels like there might be racing in the second half of the year for the Northern Hemisphere athletes, at least maybe something before then. Um, do you have any sort of firm plans for the year? Nothing firm. I have sort of some general plans. Um, you know, as I said, I'm 50, so the years ahead of me are fewer than the ones behind me. So I'm starting to get a little bit more particular about the races that I do and wanting to do races that either just sort of warm my heart, races that either over the course of my career I've just loved, um, or races that I haven't done that I'm intrigued by. I mean, I'm starting to, you know, form that little bit of a bucket list to, to try to knock some of those off the list. Um, one of the ones I really had wanted to do was Ironman Majorca. I had a fantastic race there back in, I think it was 2014. Um, I loved that race. I loved that course. I loved just everything about it. And obviously that's been pushed to fall now. So that was, I knew it when they announced the schedule that that was like international travel in May was going to be pretty tight. Mm. Um, even if they were Johnny on the spot with the, with the vaccine distribution, it, it was going to be a, it was going to be a tall ask to get me to, to Spain at that time. So that was a little bit of a bummer. Um, North American options aren't that intriguing to me. So I'm just going to, sort of wait and see uh there'll be some 70.3s if, if galveston 70.3 happens i'll jump into that just to race because it's just been so darn long right like mm. at this point i just want to race um so if galveston happens i'll jump into that and then see what pans out with the rest of ironman seasons i'd like to do a couple of ironmans this year and then possibly look next year to possibly another ultra 
Cool. Now, do you have your eyes on any particular records? You mentioned your 50 um, several times, so you brought it up, not me. Um, <laughs> and we know, we've, we've sort of discussed on the show recently, Cam Brown, I think he might be 48 or something like that, and what he can potentially do when he's 50, you know, whether he can get close to 8, I don't know if he can go sub 8, but um, do you, I guess, do you know the record for 50-year-olds, for fastest 50-year-olds ever, um, and do you have your eyes on anything like that? You know, I haven't looked in that dang Cam Brown. I'm telling you, like we have a we have an unspoken grudge match going. Like I'm gonna keep going as long as he keeps going. <laughs> <laughs> He's in pretty good form. He is in very good form and 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 is inspiring and and you know he says he wants to go till he's 50. I'm like okay, well I can't quit before Cam does, even yeah. though I've got him by a year and a half or so in age. You know, I don't know the fastest times. I know. When I won Ironman Taiwan back in 2015, that winning time, I wasn't quite the fastest over 45. I think I had been beat by um, Natasha Bodman had won Ironman South Africa in a faster time. And I think Nina Kraft had won Ironman Louisville at 45 in a time. And again, we were talking about a matter of minutes. Like it was really close between the three of us. and I don't know that Natasha ever went faster than that. So I don't know what some of those benchmark times are. Part of the problem for me with a record like that is that the courses that I tend to be drawn to don't tend to be PR time type courses. I like the more challenging gritty bike courses and those don't always necessarily yield fast Ironman times. You know, my inspiration now is really just seeing what is possible. You know, my last year um, in multi-sport racing, I mean, because obviously 2020, at the end of 2019, I shut it down to to put my focus on to to Ultraman training. So I haven't raced since Ironman Whistler in August, I think, of 2019. But in 2019, I was on a podium at a 70.3 and I was fourth at Ironman Whistler. And you know, when I can turn up to races and, and keep standing on podiums and, and being competitive with, with women who are <laughs> quite literally half my age, I, I get really excited about that. So I have nothing to lose at this point. Um, so I don't necessarily think I'm eyeing any records. I would just, I, I have some sort of personal goals that I would just like to keep being competitive at this advanced age. And and I think people sometimes take it for granted. They're like, oh, TD, you're amazing. I'm like, nobody has any idea how hard this is except Cam Brown. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really, really, really hard. Um, and but I but I love it. And, and I love that challenge. And just in terms on the, I guess on the the work front, obviously you know I, I know the Ironman Virtual Reality series carries on, but that doesn't seem to be the, the sort of pro side of it. Given that there's been a little bit of pro racing, is that something you're likely to carry on with this year um, once it gets back up and running? Yeah, well, I can't spill the beans too much, but uh, just this past week we've shot a little promo for some uh, for some VR racing that's coming up. It's a it's a really fun new format that we'll be starting. Uh, in March. Uh, it will be a different format to what was in 2020. There still will be pros involved, but at a somewhat different level. Um, it's got a whole new team format, which is super cool um, with team captains and phone a friend in the form of if you do your virtual race and you don't like your run split, you can phone a friend and swap <laughs> one in. So there's a lot of really fun, cool stuff that's coming. Um, and, and so look for details on that. I will definitely be involved with that coming up starting in March. Um, yeah. And then in other stuff, um, 
my old triathlon team from Boston, uh, Team Psycho. Uh, we run a nonprofit um, sponsorship fund called the Elite Development Program. So I've spent the last couple of months uh, together with Karen Smyers uh, selecting our new roster of athletes. Um, so through the generosity of Team Psycho and uh, a cycling event, a, a long ride called B to VT, it's a 148 mile ride from uh, Boston up to uh, one of the ski resorts in Vermont. Uh, Team Psycho runs that event and they take a portion of the proceeds to fund this elite development program. And we take that cool. money and give it to upcoming, up and coming ITU athletes who maybe are just out of college and have all of the passion and the talent, but none of the resources to sort of make a go in, in triathlon. And throughout the history, it's the, the program's been around for 20 years and we've supported, you know, athletes like Jared Shoemaker back in the day. Um, Katie Zafaris was one of our athletes. Um, you know, we've had a great, great list of athletes and, and our money's done a lot of good. So uh, we have a brand new roster that uh, we've just signed. Um, of ITU athletes. And for the first time, we're actually including a paratriathlete as well. So I've been do working hard getting those athletes signed and under contract and getting those announcements made as well. So it's it's a nice thing. Um, I give Team Cycle a lot of credit. They, they don't have to do it, but it's the right thing to do to pay it forward in a sport yeah. that's given us all so much. And uh, and so it's fun to be a part of it in that aspect of, of giving back and, and to sort of be surrounded by some of these young kids um, and, and hearing of their experiences as they as they get going in the sport. Uh, it's clearly working. You bloody Americans, especially on the female side of it, are kicking butt on the ITU circuit when we get back <laughs> up and running. It's good to, good to see. Awesome. Uh, it was great to catch up and hear what's what's been going down. So if pe people want to follow you, um, what's, what's the best way for them to, to keep up to speed with what you're up to? Oh, I think my Instagram is probably my most popular social media outlet. That's at DD Greasebauer, and that flows over to Facebook as well. But uh, yeah, I appreciate it. It's it's a fun journey, and it's you know my role in the sport is probably a little different than it was you know 15 years ago. But I'm still just really happy to be doing it. Awesome. Thanks, Daddy. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Jumbo, your thoughts. Well, the thing, I love talking to athletes who have been in the sport for a long, long time and they're still motivated to keep going. So Didi is one of those ones that loves the process of training. So she is a racer, you know, she's looking, as you guys heard, she's looking forward to races, she's looking forward to events. She had a, an ultra that she got ready for, um, but still is okay just training for the sake of training and just the challenge, the daily challenges that bring. And I think that's such an important thing that's come out of the last 12 months is it is important to by and large, enjoy the process of training. Totally. Uh, this, we're going to talk about uh, our sponsor. Yep, so this interview was brought to you by UCAN. You heard uh, Didi's experiences and the gains that she's made by um, becoming a UCAN athlete and using it with her ultra races and, and the difference it's made her f in terms of how she's felt during the race but I think there was a really interesting point that she made how good she felt after the race it wasn't that massive uh, come down and, and that sort of explosion late in the race and she finished you know feeling good and feeling level headed so if you want to try better you can um, use the promo code IMTALK if you want to do that in the US go to generationucan.com Canada smartperformancenutrition.ca Australia generation youcan.com.au and New Zealand superstarch.co.nz and UK you can only get 10% off but you can go generationyoucan.co.uk check, check, check it out get the, the, the hit without the sugar
That's right. That's what we found the hit without the sugar. Okay, guys, uh, we've got a website oh, over the week. week. Good old Bradford Cooper, who's got all the letters beside his name. <laughs> uh, he's got uscorporatewellness.com. He sent us through a, a YouTube clip and he says, Crazy times. Hope you guys are doing well. I've just released this little five-minute clip on how to build a home gym and thought you guys might want to find it helpful for your community. No ads or sponsors, just trying to provide folks in the coaching community with a resource about what, why, how to get started, especially for those over 40, 50 and 60. And it's good. It's actually, have you watched it? Yeah, I had a look at it this morning. Yeah, it's pretty good. And what I like about it is it's it's kind of looking at your traditional setup to do your weight training, but he also got that kind of triathlon slant on it. Mm. Um, so yeah, if you, if you are thinking, and let's be honest, Home training has become a big thing in this last period of time, isn't it? And I think Bradford's fought gone into this um, is the same as a lot of people. He's kind of got to his 40s probably and thinking, I should do a bit of gym work. And then as he's got into more into his 50s, he goes, I really need to be doing this. Yeah. And I think he's approaching 60 by the sound of that video. And he's like, this is a fundamental part of my training. So um, yeah, it's basically a home setup and, and, and how you do it. Maybe I should do a, a high five on how to enjoy strength training. Because mm. one of the problems for our crew is we just become cardio kings. Mm. And as, as we kind of identified there, as we're aging, your strength work is so important for long term in your body. Um, and, but the problem is a lot of people go to the gym and they just hate the gym. Mm. You know, and so, my hand's gone up. My hand has gone up. Yeah, t- totally. <laughs> and, and so, but at the same time, we do need to do doing strength work mm. again, especially as we're aging. And so, you know, it kind of Brad's video around what you need to create for an environment, but also how do you find gym work enjoyable? Mm-hmm. Because if you're not going to find it enjoyable, then you're never going to do it. So there needs to be a factor that brings an enjoyment factor into it. So maybe maybe I'll go over the next few weeks. I'll do a high five on how to find strength training enjoyable. So that'll be my little project. Uh, John, so I'll put a link to this YouTube in the show notes. Winger of the week. I'm going to say. No, no, you're not going to say this week. I've got one for this oh, week. Oh, okay. Uh, Who are you pulling what, up? What am I accepting? I'm accepting bloody all these cookies from Strava before I go on there. Uh, I tell you what, there was. I'm just logging in now, and I think our number one from this week. We, I'll give her a mention, but Rebecca she, is this beers? Yeah, she's it's 29, 28 hours. Yeah, but I think there's a little bit of a, the old uh, unfortunate leaving of the watch on. Oh, because it's swim swam, time. Swam 28 hours and 19 minutes. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to be meeting Rebecca in a few weeks' time. I will we'll be bringing this up, and that, unless she's done some epic swimming. Uh, 28 hours is a lot of swimming in one week when she's run road five hours and run two hours 14. I'm going, Bevan. Here we go. Number 100. Do you know where I'm going? Is it John Newsom? 100. Neil B. Yep. Any reason? Do you know why I'm doing that? Because we've got a 100% record against the Australian cricket team oh, in T20s so far. It's probably it. not going to last much longer. Well, no, I think we're going to lap, lap it up. We're uh, a good cricket team, John. We're not going to win 100% of them, though. But we'll, we'll have. Oh. How good would it be if yeah. we did? I don't. So I, I wouldn't say we're not. I think we've got a chance. I wouldn't say it's guaranteed. So twice we've beaten Australia inside a week. Oh, anytime you can beat cricket. Australia cricket, guys, it's a happy day in your life. <laughs> so Neil Bassford, he's uh, finished number 100 on our Strava leaderboard. He didn't do any swimming last week. Uh, he rode 10 hours and 55 minutes and ran 1 hour and 15 minutes. He's from uh, the good old motherland, England, United Kingdom. And in the last four weeks, he's averaged six rides per week for an average distance of 265 k's. Uh, in terms of his running, he's been averaging 
16.6 kilometers per week. I wonder if he was aiming for 10 miles per week with only two runs per week. Did he, now, I'm going to be honest here, Neil. You were smashing it in 2020 up till May. Yes. What's happened? Because yeah. you had a big three months, May, March, April, May in 2020. June, I'm thinking you had a race and you had some downtime. Well, I'm thinking COVID hit and then he goes, bugger this. Yeah, well, October, what happened in October? October was not and he's kind enough. of put, he's pulled his socks up again, but he's not quite where he was before. Yeah, you know, so just just saying, mate, just saying, keep Neil, it sharp. Nice work, Neil. Though you're you're back in the game, and you are our winger of the week. Of the week. If you don't know what our Wanger of the Week means, uh, all you need to do is go into Strava.com and just search for I Am Talk Podcast and you can join our little club and you get in the chance, if you're in the top 100 of the week, you get the chance to get your name read out. Uh, questions uh, and answers. answers. Good old Peter Colson sent through this one. Um, Cody Bills, every year he does a financial report or my triathlon budget and he's done a pandemic edition and it's actually pretty interesting because his income has dropped by about 45% with prize money dropping to just 8k in comparison to 40. Yeah, so it's just an insight and and he it goes fortunately hardcore. so Cody Beals is a smart cookie and he looks like he's really leveraged some some good sponsorship deals so he's in terms of his survival rate I think he'd done a shitload better than a lot of athletes because he's structured deals, sponsorship deals, so I think he's been able to survive and he was fortunate that he lives in North America where they did have at least some racing, so he did get 8k in prize money compared to 40,000 in the prior years, but yeah, just a massive drop off, especially for those athletes that are really reliant on prize money, Uh, luckily he gets a good chunk from outside of that and he lives a fairly Spartan lifestyle by the sound of it, so if you're intrigued to see, you know, how much pro athletes uh, actually earn in the North normal year versus a COVID year um, for someone like Cody Beals and where that comes and where he spends his money, go check it out at CodyBeals.com. It was about 80000 wasn't it, this year? Was it, mm. Yeah, something like that, which was down from the previous year, so from what I remember. Okay, yeah, so interesting stuff. Um, John, let's talk about our patrons. Adam the King Turner. We've got Peter the Potter Welsh. And Barbie Dinky Dynamo Bresoles. Daniel... Uh, you have a place. You have placed place a chill, chill in my heart, Stuart. That's, that's a shocker. Oh, I <laughs> like it. You've placed a chill in my heart, Daniel. Love you, but uh, that's a great nickname. I think someone else not sitting in my seat came up with no, that. One. I think it might be the best one of all time. Um, if you want to become a patron, go to iamtalk.me and you'll click on become a support show. Go through the process. You support the boys. You donate. We give you a gift. It's just really, if you enjoy the show and it adds value to Triathlon Week, it's a really good way to support this show. John, we have got a sponsor? You can. Uh, it is a sports nutrition that gives you the longer lasting energy without the spike and crash in sugar. And as we were saying earlier, get all those discount codes wherever you are around the world. Uh, let's also just say if you want to uh, some coaching, go to coachjohnmuson.com. If you want to listen to my podcast, bevanjamesisles.com. I did a podcast on change recently, my last episode. I tell you what, I've had heaps of feedback on it, really hit notes. So if you are thinking it's time of change in your life, you may want to check that out. Also, content, age group of the week, call websites, other feedback, and email imtalkpodcast at gmail.com. John, your goss. Uh, so this week is, a, I think I said the same thing last week. Last week I was saying, getting ready for this race, so I'm organising the Sea to Sky Challenge in case we're at level two. Now it's like, same story, getting ready for this race at level two. With my fingers crossed, hopefully we change our levels later this week and life can carry on a little bit as more as normal. So other than My that, prediction is you're going to be fine. 
Well, yeah. Yeah, based on nothing. You plan for the worst and hope for the yeah, you best. You right now, don't you? You do. Uh, so outside of that, it was a bit of a bit of a blah weekend after that. That sort of uh, made Sunday a bit of a shitter old day, really. Just saying, oh, God, here we go again. Uh, outside of that, Bevan, just ticking over a little bit of training. Supposed to be racing on Friday night myself, but they've got a challenge there because we'll still be at the same level. And that's a small event. It's just over 100. We can have 100 people gathering for What's events. What's the event? Uh, it's just a little triathlon out in the sticks, out in the country. Can you not do it so it's 50-50 or something? Well, they, they just need to get a little bit creative with it. So yeah. fingers crossed that'll be on. I get to do a race, which I look forward to doing it, even though it's out in the middle of nowhere and nobody really cares. I just enjoy racing and maybe taking on some of those young juniors and hopefully improving my performance a little bit on last time. Outside of that, Bevan, I... I I'm almost tempted to get Spark Sport to watch this cricket because I, oh, f- I watched the first game and we recorded the show before it was actually on. And that's the thing. It was on a Monday night. We normally record on Monday. Yeah, that's right, but and, I was away. And, and so I got home from running. I coach a running group on Monday, get home normally about 7 o'clock. I wrapped it up just about two or three minutes early. <laughs> not really intentionally, but I was like, sweet, I might get home. Got home, turned the TV on, and they were like literally doing the 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, yeah. 5, 4, 3, 2, Which one I don't countdown. get why they do that for cricket. Because they never actually start on no, zero. yeah, it's stupid, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and they're on the first ball. I said, sweet. I had my dinner and I watched this and I said to Belinda, I'm just watching cricket tonight. It's my turn to have the TV. And within five minutes, I was like, screw this. I just turned it oh, off. Oh, did you turn it off? Turned it off. Oh, like, we I'm came back at one. No, I turned it off. Went and had a shower. Got myself sorted. Kids made sure they were shut up and in bed. <laughs> and then I thought, I'll give these guys another chance. And Conway. by this stage, they were, you know, it's probably a half an hour later. And, uh, and then we were back in the game. And I watched the rest of the game, which was great because it was on free to air. But the other games are paper. Pay, and I paid for the game because what happened in game two? They played it on Tuesday, like a Thursday afternoon or something. Mm. Um, so game two, I'm sitting here. I don't have Spark Sport, but I've had it in the past. Oh, really? Yeah, I, had <laughs> I knew you had it. I thought you still had it. No, I had it for the cricket. But stupidly, what they've done with cricket this year is they had like a month off. So I thought, well, cancel it for the month off. Why pay for it if you're not going to use it? The game started, and I thought, I'll just have a look. Bang, I was straight in. And it was another good, it was a really exciting game because mm. Stoyness came back. Oh, I'm loving the cricket, John. You yeah. know what's good about New Zealand cricket right now, that? Mm-hmm. Is back in the day, so for those who don't know nothing about cricket, back in the day, New Zealand would occasionally have a great game, but we were kind of reliant on one or two players. If those mm-hmm. players didn't fire, chance of us doing well. Nowadays, one guy drops the ball, another guy picks it up. That's right. You know, so oh, I love it. It's only 24 bucks, mate. Only 24 bucks. You know, we, <laughs> But you've only got it for three games now. I've got it for four games. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, we've got the Bangladesh coming, so there's more, more cricket ahead of us. Uh, any other goss? What about this week? No, that's about it, really. Uh, Bevan, how was Tekapo? Uh, do you know what? Oh, it was windy. Windy? <laughs> yeah, it was actually a bit shit. So, <laughs> so we because I'm, I'm off work, so I we thought we'll head down to Tekapo. So we head down to Tekapo, and it was and it was so so windy. I went for a bike road one day. You know, they've got the kind of the canal behind you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I jumped my bike, head down there. 30 minutes one direction. Guess how long it took me to get back home? 52. 56 minutes. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I was, I, was, I was pushing to get home. Like, yeah. it was, I, I was six, I think I'm going to be a little bit late because I said, I'll be about now. And yeah. admittedly, I was going pretty fast with the wind behind me. Um, but yeah, 56 minutes to get back home. It was mm. pretty gale force. Um, so it was, yeah, it wasn't the, you know, like we had a nice time, but it wasn't the greatest Tikapo mm. experience. Uh, I'll tell you what I am doing right now, John, is I'm reading a book called, and I'll pull it up here while you were talking before. It's called The Time Traveler's Guide to Medieval England. And it's by a guy, by a guy called Ian Mortimer. And what it is, is he basically, 
He says, most history books are just kind of telling you what happened. Mm-hmm. Well, this book's written from the perspective of you're living in that time. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, it's fascinating. Great. Do you know that in, so first of all, I, read, I learned last night that buttons were invented in 1330. <laughs> right, nice. <laughs> you would have thought buttons would have been well before then, eh? Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. And, and buttons changed fashion quite a bit because buttons were the first time that you could kind of create slim fitting clothes mm. because often you know they're, they're quite yeah. and a lot of people didn't like it because overweight people were like back it up what's with these buttons <laughs> yeah um but like it's fascinating reading and things like um the new year wasn't january the first mm-hmm. the new year was when the new king was crowned right. so the year would begin based on the new king um animals were a lot smaller like mm-hmm. pigs and cows and sheep it wasn't really until around the 1700s where we started to kind of industrialize the kind of production of animals um the population in medieval england at the beginning of the 1300s was five million people the average town size was about two and a half thousand london was only forty thousand people at that time so it's pretty small by the end of the century it was only two and a half million you should go on the chase, Bev, and they'd go, what year was the button invented? Oh, I tell you, I tell, I'd be winning. Okay. Come on, the beast, I've got you. <laughs> and, um, so, uh, but, and so the population, and the plague happened, obviously, so the plague was a big problem that killed the population. I think there was also another war that was massively detrimental to population. But it wasn't until, so 5 million at the beginning of the century, it wasn't until mid-1600s that it got back to 5 million, mm-hmm. and even the 1760 where it was 5.5. So population growth was so slow in that period of time. It's quite fascinating. Oh, John, I could talk for hours. Great. But I'll tell you what, if you are, if you like a bit of history and you want it told in a slightly different manner, um, even the first chapter talks about walking into London. Mm-hmm. You know, because it was a walled city back in those days, and mm-hmm. you walk in, and the first thing they will get you is smell. Mm-hmm. You know, because you know, fresh air. You walk in, and it just because at the beginning of the century, just the sewage systems were just disgusting. You know, mm. you'd literally just throw it on the street. Yeah, you know, and just yeah. So oh, I absolutely love it. So if you want to check it out, the the series he does lots of them, I think. But the one I'm reading is the Time Traveler's Guide to Medieval England. So looking forward to that. Other than that, but bit of training. Bit of training. Actually, I do have a good story. Yep. Saturday, I was going to go to the gym, but I was a bit like, oh, time, by the time you go there and back, it's a couple of hours. You should have a home gym in your garage. Oh, too tight. <laughs> I'll get a free gym. Why wouldn't I? But um, so I thought I'd jump on the bike, go for a bike ride. I need like 40 minutes, but I thought I'd smash 40, come home and do some body weight work. Riding up the hill, they got the, the went up the hill. There's your first mistake. Well, no, because it was 40 minutes. Roadworks. So I got stuck in those roadworks. Well, yep. There you go. So there's roadworks up the hill. And the, the lights could take a long time, can't they? Add thirteen minutes onto thirteen minutes onto a ride that I did. Okay, well, it wasn't that bad? But I kind of snicked up and got to the front of the queue on the second set of lights. I didn't have the first set of lights, which helped. There's a cyclist here. I kind of didn't see them take off, and I thought I'm only going to afford it my ride, so I'll give, give it a kick. Mm-hmm. So I took off, and you know, got up to the Kiwi, turned left, and I was only kind of going like another ten minutes. The next turn around from the Kiwi guys is kind of a steep climb, then kind of mm-hmm. rolling flat. So kind of riding along, kind of did the old sly look behind. Yeah. You know, you know how do you do it, John? Yeah. You look at you look at the hills, don't you? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and your eyes go there. You've got the peripheral vision yeah. happening. But you're not looking at them, just looking, oh, look at the beautiful view at the mountain bike park. Saw that this person was probably about 20, 30 metres, so I made a good gap on them, uh, pushing my tempo. I wasn't killing myself, but pushing mm-hmm. my tempo so that keeping the gap... It's like, you know, do another, you know, get along the top, I look at the city. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> which is another chicken without sleep. Making a bit of a making a bit of a gap, 
in close to me. Get to about five minutes to my turnaround. I think I cool. They won't pass me. Blows past me. John, I have to make him sound like a sexist pig here. Female. Mm-hmm. Didn't look like an amazing athlete. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, don't get me wrong. Didn't look like an unfit person. Mm-hmm. But didn't look like it was Chrissy Wellington passing me. Mm-hmm. Blew past me. Mm-hmm. Ego got hurt. <laughs> Hope so, that person knew you. She probably, well, I don't know. But uh, I jumped on a tail. I wasn't going to get away from me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you attacked her. Got <laughs> no, out of the I, I, I could have attacked her and turned around. Eh? That yeah. should, should have been the move. But I have to. Now, admittedly, I wasn't going 100%. Here come the excuses. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to admit, as, I, as they passed me, and she put the foot down as she passed me. You could tell she laid, yeah. it, laid it down. She passed me. And I have to admit, I was like, getting past it. But I have to admit, the chip factor. Sexist pig. Maybe great, sexist pig. Great way to finish a show, yeah, Devin yeah. being sexist. Yeah, sexist pig. Anyway, John, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm a Train hard. Train smart. Kia car. car.